0: He's responded to our praise. What a wonderful gift to enjoy the presence of God. One of the things you try to avoid as a pastor is not teach the whole Bible when you teach the Bible, (laughs) and we cover a lot of ground in Scripture because you people are you know the Word. You're you're embossed. You're allowing it to be embossed in your heart and so, but there are times on to pull back sometimes and look at the bigger picture and some of the passages that we read. Why is this here? Why at this place? And sometimes we find answers for that and other times we don't. But before I open up this passage, I thought it would be good to rehearse a little bit of some of the basic underlying truths They give the why. Maybe this story is placed in what we call chapter 10 of Luke's gospel. The plans and purposes of God will never be denied. The Almighty can never be denied. He will accomplish his purpose despite what angels have done and what man may do. And he decided a long time ago. Before he created the earth to create human beings that would be his imagers. He put us in this earthly realm to do that. To share life and purpose together with him. He created other beings prior to this who became some, became jealous and envy us of his greatness. They sought that greatness and autonomy for themselves and great was their fall. In their fallenness, they tempted humankind to join their rebellion against the Most High. The enemies of God have succeeded in seducing mankind. These enemies of Yahweh were not satisfied with just stumbling earth dwellers. They sought to educate and to infiltrate this forbidden domain to create idolaters who would worship them. Introducing things to mankind that would accelerate their destruction. This is the story of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. The serpent entered the garden of paradise in Genesis and seduced the crowning beauty of all creation. The rebels in this heavenly domain were not satisfied with just promoting their rebellion within the earthly domain. They sought the destruction of mankind altogether. Genesis 6 speaks of their invasion by corrupting human bloodlines through intermarrying with the daughters of men resulting in a hybrid race, part human, part angelic. This corruption of mankind greatly accelerated evil upon the earth to the point that the thoughts and intents of mankind were only evil continually. So Yahweh created a reset by washing away the Great Flood, the corruption that started over with mankind by saving Noah and his family. Noah and his sons were given the command to be fruitful and multiply in the earth, and mankind was given great freedom once again and the authority to rule in this earthly domain as Yahweh's imagers. And yet, once again, the evil influence of those who had left their first domain, once again infiltrated and deceived mankind into building a gateway into the heavens, Genesis 11. Rather than obey the command to fill the earth, they sought to assemble and build a city and a tower and make a name for themselves. As is always the case, rebellion always does the opposite of what is right. And so these first chapters in Genesis communicate the predicament of mankind since the time of our creation. And the remainder of the Bible reveals us over and over how Yahweh's attempt to reconcile us who have been separated from Him by the exercise of our free will. God has responded to the rebellion of the nations by establishing His own nation. In chapter 12, He chose Abraham and Sarai to begin to reconcile these those estranged from him. It's amazing to me when you begin to start a nation that you would choose a barren woman and an impotent man to do so. So God supernaturally gave them a son in their old age. You know, this is one of the greatest oxymoronic things in the world today to consider, and that is a Jewish atheist. Their very existence is proof that there's a God in heaven (laughs) he created them supernaturally God used Jesus to bring this plan of his to fruition and more to a completion he captured the plan of God in a few words in his response to the woman at the well if you remember John 4 he said to this woman 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 Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Salvation has come through this line that he created through Abraham. As we continue... uh, This story here in chapter ten. It is a story of God's plan to save and to reconcile lost people. This is the purpose of the gospel. This is the announcing of the good news. This should be good news for rebels. It was a good news for a few of us here this morning, right? We received the gospel message, we've repented. We were deceived. We were blinded by sin, but we've now been forgiven now been reconciled. Jesus came to live among us to proclaim the hidden knowledge of God, the greatness of God's love. He came to fulfill what was predicted of the the Messiah, what he would do and what he would be like. He came to die. He, He came to be the sin bearer. His perfect life and sacred blood provided the atonement for all the wrongs ever committed by mankind. Now let's think about that for a moment. Think of all the sins and you may be thinking how ugly and nasty your sins are. That comes across my mind on occasion. of My wrongdoings. My sin before God. The horror, the guilt that's been forgiven and taken away but still the scars remain all of mankind, every sin that you can ever imagine, Jesus took it upon himself. There's not one sin that's not covered by the blood of Christ. But yet there still remains one sin that can never be forgiven. And that is to reject the offering of forgiveness through his precious blood. He came to forgive. He came to heal us from the effects of the fall. So the sending out of these 70 short-term missionaries here is to prepare the way for his revival. It's really a picture of the work of reaching the lost and reaching rebel humanity. Seventy is an interesting number in Scripture. Many of you are aware of that. There are 70 nations mentioned in Genesis 10, the 70 nations that rebelled in chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. Seventy were sent out like the 12 disciples were sent out in chapter 9, we'll mention a little bit later. They were sent out to reach the nation of Israel, the Jew first, then the Gentile. It wasn't until Jesus was rejected that the door was opened back up to the nations, back to the Gentiles. But first, it was their intent, Jesus' intent, to reach his people. This is the last hurrah. He's making his last journey back up through the Galilee into Judea, crossing the Jordan, coming up the King's Highway into Bethany and all his last week, the last Passover. And so he's sending out these 70 ahead to prepare the way. So let's pick it up in chapter 10, the first. 12 verses here. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, nor greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, say, first say, Peace to this house. And if the Son of Peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give the labor is worthy of his wages do not go from house to house whether city you enter and they receive you eat such things as that are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them the kingdom of God has come near you but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you go out into the streets and say the very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city. This morning we'll look at this part where the message of the kingdom goes out through the 70. We'll see in verses 13 through 16 the rejection of the kingdom of God by some. And then the return of the 70 who are so happy Uh, That the message was received by so many. And yet, we see the Lord's reaction in verses 21 through 24, how he rejoices. I think it's important as we consider this portion that there was a method to Jesus and his discipleship. As you examine the Gospels and you watch his work, he first talked about the work with his disciples. He did the work and the disciples observed him. They watched him and then Jesus got them to help and to do the work and then it flipped at some point where Jesus helped them to do the work and he then observed the disciples as they worked and then he sent the disciples out to do the work so we see this method that Jesus had The disciples then were to teach others what they had learned. And that's really what discipleship is all about. That which we receive, we pass on to others. And they simply repeated what they had learned. Jesus, as we again examine the Gospels, had a way, a method in his ministry. It was always through teaching. Wherever he went, he taught the people. There's such a need for the teaching of the Word of God in the body of Christ. If you want to be a man of God and be used of God, then you must gain a good working knowledge of the scriptures. God uses men that he's prepared for ministry, and he uses them because they are men of the word. Jesus first taught the people and then, through his actions, reinforced his teaching. This is why John capitalized in the phrase, he was mighty in word and mighty in deed. And so he's now at a position in his ministry, having been doing this for three years or so, that he's going to delegate the same authority to his disciples. Same kind of ministry, preaching, healing, casting out demons. Jesus judged that it was the right time for these men to go out. They'd been, these 70 probably had been with him long enough. They weren't just strangers. Hey, I want to use you. No, there was, a, there was an... an relationship that had developed they'd been with him long enough they'd been observing his ministry hearing his teaching participating in the ministry no doubt, probably to some limited extent at least and they were now ready to go out and take their walk with God to another level now I've sort of set you up haven't I for some of you it's about time you take your walk in your service of God to another level. See, this is what happens when we, there's no greater joy than to serve the Lord. Once he's filled you and anointed you and equipped you, then he wants to use you. It's not just for your purpose and for your enjoyment, but God wants to use you. We are servants of God by choice, and there's no greater joy than to serve him. So he's sending them, out these 70 with purpose and it is to prepare people for his arrival so you get the idea that's why he's sending you that's why he has sent me to prepare a people because Jesus is coming do you believe that Jesus is coming you you better because he is no one has all the gifts nobody can do all the work of the kingdom and it's not to be left to just a few unfortunately that seems to be the case there are few laborers but he calls the few laborers here we'll notice here to pray pray to the lord of harvest that he thrust literally thrust forth labors into his harvest you know it's a wonderful thing to have our sins forgiven it's a wonderful thing to be reconciled to god no greater peace no greater joy than can a human being experience to be united with their Creator. And God's will is that all men be reunited with Him. And yet, if we've had an emotional experience in our conversion, that's okay. I had a very emotional experience. It was a very quiet emotion, but it was nonetheless very emotional for me. I think it your conversion and your turning to God uh, probably should be because it's affecting all of your being in in, the deepest recesses of your being, of who you are. But if that's all it is, and it doesn't affect your will and change the direction of your life, then you have reason to question your encounter with God. It must go deeper than the emotions. It must reach the deepest recesses of who you are. And that is known by how your will is expressed. If there's no change in a person's life after they confess Christ, then I have Little doubt that that confession is real and that transformation is real. There must be a change of the heart and there must be a fruit. By this so you know all men, by their fruit, what comes out. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. A bad tree does not bear good fruit. Now that's in the context of false teachers, but it also can be taken as a truth when it comes to walking with the Lord. There should be a fruit... Coming from my life, and we can tell where we're at. Salvation obviously is an ongoing process. God uh, doesn't perfect us right out of the gate. In fact, we never will achieve perfection, and He knows that. He's made provision for that through the cross. All we have to do is confess and repent and be cleansed and washed daily. But what that requires from you and I is a complete surrender if you're not completely surrendered, you're not surrendered at all because you're still on the throne. You're exchanging your lordship for his lordship. You're giving up your autonomy and self-worship to follow Jesus. Now, as I am indicated here, uh, right out of the gate, Jesus tells these that are going forth to pray. Pray to the Lord of Harvest. How important prayer is in the life of a believer. It should never be underestimated or ignored in our lives. You cannot find your ministry or understand the direction of your life and the purpose that God has for you apart from prayer. It plays a great part in us discovering what God would have us to do. The harvest is great. There are many that need to hear this message and receive the kingdom. And unfortunately, as indicated here, the labors are few. And then he gives a... A little warning here, as we are as lambs sent out among wolves, what is he saying by that phrase? Look, you're going to be in dangerous situations, you're going to be experienced and subjected to situations that you are very vulnerable, almost helpless, as a lamb would be before a wolf, but he tells us to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. So what is required is faith. We must trust the great shepherd of the sheep. This calling and this purpose of God is to be conducted by faith. I trust you, Lord. Jesus set the example for prayer. If you were taking notes, it'd be in chapter 6, uh, verses 12 through 16. He goes up to the mountaintop to pray. Now, if the Son of God felt it necessary to be alone with the Father to pray, how much more shall we, do we need to pray and seek the face of God? But he was alone with the Father. What does that speak of? It speaks of commitment. Are you committed to prayer? If you're not committed to prayer, you'll never find your place. How can you help advance the kingdom of God if you're not a person of prayer? If you're just relying upon your own innate abilities and talents. We need more than that. We need to be in tune with God, and that comes through praying. Jesus got up to the mountain alone and prayed. And he prayed, it says, all night, which to me, I'm not saying that we have to pray all night, but not a bad idea at some point in time, if that God calls you that. The idea is to be steadfast in prayer. Jesus stayed there until he was released. He got through. He understood. The Lord showed him. The Father showed him what his next steps were. And in this case, it was to go down and choose those twelve disciples. Now I thought maybe he might have needed to stay a little bit longer because some of these guys you sort of question, like the guy who betrayed him, really? Did you are you sure? Yeah. Those are the ones. And see, sometimes you might question some of the things that God shows you in your prayers. But be obedient. The Father knows all things. But the point there is to be steadfast in our prayers. And after praying, Jesus acted. He didn't, well, you know, maybe I will choose the disciples and maybe I won't. No. He got right after it. When God shows you to do something, do it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And God is... Look at the examples we see in Scripture. When people failed to respond immediately, they missed the opportunity. God is working on a time schedule. And things are scheduled perfectly in your life. And whenever He says, speak, speak. Whenever He says to pause, pause. Because everything is in, in perfect flow and perfect timing for your life. So, respond. And if you understand what's in the heart of Jesus when He calls you is... It's it's a call to discipleship. Yeah, it's a call to service. But it says in that context here that he, first of all, called them that they might be with him. You understand how important that is? It's not about, oh, if if I serve in the ministry, I'll find my self-worth by helping people. No, it's not about self-worth. It's not about self at all. Jesus chose you. He chose us to be with him. He loves us so, he wants this friendship, relationship. He chose us to be with him. And we get to share in the work. And it's really a deeper walk that he desires to have with you and I. Notice he doesn't leave them without instruction. Some people worry about, well, I don't, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I want to serve the Lord, but I, I, I don't know what to do. Well, it's okay. You'll figure it out. God will show you. God will guide you. God will teach you. Look at the list of things, there that, of the things that they were to, to do and to practice. You know, it's a short-term missionary work, so you don't need to take any provisions with you. Um, this is what happens if people don't like you and don't want you around. Just keep on moving. And by the way, this is urgent, so don't get caught up in some side conversation Don't greet people and waste all your time. There's other people that need to hear. Keep moving. Keep the objective. The objective. Stay in one house. Don't bounce around from house to house. Preach the kingdom of God. How many preachers are not preaching the kingdom of God these days? They're preaching some psycho babble or some you know politically correct thing. I mean, oh my goodness, what are you even in the ministry for? Are you even saved? It's ridiculous some of the things that come from the pulpits in our country. We need to pray about that. Pray for that. There needs to be a deep repentance in the pulpit ministry of our country. If this nation will ever have revival, it will come to the pulpits, leave off being lukewarm and there's a fire in the pulpit once again. That's what's going to bring revival. And then the hearts of the people. Because you can't give something to people that you don't have. God help us. Preach the kingdom of God, and they were to cast out demons. And I know that makes some people uncomfortable, but I don't really think you should be uncomfortable with that because did you hear the opening monologue? We are fighting against enemies in an unseen realm, and they have captured mankind. They have blinded people by sin and deceived people, and they're in bondage. And those many of them, and I was one of those, who had opened some doors that I should never have opened through drugs and alcohol abuse. And what comes in with alcohol and drug use is demon possession, controlled by the enemy. Do you think people need deliverance today? Do you think they need healing from demonic influences today? Of course they do. And Jesus is sending you, he's sending me to bring about healing and deliverance for the people who have opened these doors and are in great need of reconciliation to God. May God help us. Before sending these people out, he gave them the same power, the same authority that he himself had. They'd been with him. They watched. They observed. They knew how to minister because they were just following the model that had been modeled by Jesus. And so he sent them. He gave them guidelines but I don't know how this is all going to work out. We have all kinds of questions. I love Hudson Taylor, and you can pull that quote up if somebody wants to write it down. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's able to supply what you need to know, what you need as far as provision. It's not an issue. The, The issue is will, obedience, and a desire to serve the king. He always supplies the need. Now, there are those who think, well, does the church really have the same mission that these 70 had? I mean, do we really have to do what the apostles did? Uh, Have you read your Bible? (laughs) The people who question that, I'm thinking, I just can't believe you'd even question that for a moment one of the first things in my life, and I know it's true in many of your lives, when you first met the Lord, one of the first things you wanted to do is to let your friends know what what you found and you knew immediately that that's what they needed because you were hanging out doing stuff that you shouldn't have been doing because you were looking for something that wasn't there. But you found what you were looking for and now you want to tell them. It's like They say, you know, one beggar saying to another beggar, hey man, I found bread, you want some? Yes, we are to follow the example of the apostles in the first century church spoke of and written of in the book of Acts. We aren't trying to duplicate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's already happened, but we can walk in the example. There are some people in the church today that are just happy to discuss doctrine. Let's just talk doctrine, you know, the sovereignty of God and the will of man. Let's talk about end times, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, just pure trib. Oh, I don't know, are the gifts for today or not? Did the gifts cease with the apostles? Are the, well, really the apostles were the only ones that were to operate in those gifts? I mean, come on. No, I would agree that the apostles had a very unique role in laying the foundation, the apostles and the prophets. I don't think we have capital A apostles anymore. Those that are claiming to be apostles and prophets, come on. It's self exaltation as far as I'm concerned. Do you look at the, list of the credentials for apostles lately the off scouring of the world persecuted without places to live you know homeless yeah look at the list in the scriptures now these guys don't have any of those credentials let alone some of the false things that they speak of in their operation of the gifts i do believe that the gifts are for today And what God is sovereign in ministering out the gifts, we do need the power and the authority that Jesus has died to give us. You know, Paul uh, operated in the gifts of the Spirit, would you say? Uh, I would say he operated in the gifts. And, of course, he's one of the apostles, but he also laid hands on Timothy, who was not an apostle. He was part of the ministry team. He laid hands on him, and he exercised spiritual gifts. Many people and many members of the early church operated in the spiritual gifts that were not apostles. Stephen worked miracles. He was just a deacon, you know, just a lowly deacon. You see, we have a way of positioning things, you know, that's for the big people and this is for, you know, the other people. You know, and this is the thing that's happened in the church. You have the you know, the the laity, you know, and the Pastors and the laity in this whole hierarchy—it's not that way at all. Think of this for a moment. How do I? How can I say that? There is no difference between pastors and their sheep, just like the congregations. You have a different role, different ministry. It's important that we make that distinction because Jesus condescended to the level of calling us siblings. He's a brother. God is calling. Us, his brother. It's hard to get your mind around that. And this is what he said. You, you are all brothers. We're brethren. And when people put themselves, pit themselves, one against another, higher in that hierarchy, it creates something that's not supposed to be there. Again, there's a clarity. There's, there's authority given to establish order, and that's important uh, to understand as well. What about the gifts? Well, what about the gifts is that you should simply just ask God for what he has for you. The gifts are different in their operation with people. They are for uh, the work of the ministry because God is asking us to do something that's supernatural, something that's above the natural. So if it's a supernatural work that needs to be accomplished, then it's going to take supernatural anointing and gifting to accomplish that. And really what it does is it teaches us to trust more. Okay, God, what do you want to do here? How do you want to operate here? What, what is your plan and purpose? And so the gifts are there for us. Don't be surprised If the message you are preaching is rejected, and this is what we see in verses 13 through 16, the unrepentant cities. This is just unbelievable in my mind. Chorazin, Bethsaida, verse 13. Capernaum, verse 15. See, these were the local cities there in the Galilee that were... I mean, Jesus is right there. The greatest teacher the earth has ever heard speak Dealing out knowledge and hidden wisdom that was hidden from the foundation of the earth. And he's bringing the knowledge of God to these people and they're just blowing it off. Unbelievable. That's how blinding sin is. That's how, how lost and rebellious mankind is. There's a price for rejection, rejecting it. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Why didn't these people believe? Why? Because they were blinded. They were blinded by the enemy. They were blinded by their personal sin. They were blinded by the fact that they were not willing to yield or surrender themselves to God. And therefore their blindness remained. The enemies of God were seeking to destroy and have sought to destroy mankind through this. They, did, they distort the truth. They get people to believe in themselves. The, the greatest sin that keeps people in bondage is self-righteousness. I'm good enough for God. No, we're not. I don't need God. I can do it my own. I don't need a crutch. No, you need a Savior, and you need your sins forgiven. You need to be relieved of your guilt because there's not a person on the planet that hasn't (laughs) sinned and is not guilty before God. We need the forgiveness of our sins. And the longer a person stays in that, the harder their heart becomes and they're controlled and led astray they don't understand the purpose of life they don't understand God himself because he is the father of lies who's deceived them there's a price for rejecting it Matthew 13 41 and 42 tells us the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness He will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. How important it is. When I, and I often contemplate this, there's two things I contemplate often. When I start a fire and I'm burning wood debris or brush or something like that, I sort of get captivated by the by the flames and then I begin to think about eternal judgment and the eternal flame and I think about verses like this and I think about the laws and I think I, I could have easily been there I could have easily perished forever burning eternally in eternal destruction wailing and gnashing of teeth and doesn't and it, and Lord help me to reach people Help me to reach my friends, my acquaintances. Help me to be bold. This is worth living for. I don't want to stand before God having not been obedient in this area. We have the words of eternal life. May God help us. And I want to end this with the last few verses here the 70 return in verse 17 through 20. And they're just blessed because God used them, and they had good results. They're joyful. There's three things that they were joyful uh, that we see that were joyful here, uh, 17 through 24. The first thing is, as I mentioned, the 70 were blessed because they were used of God, and they saw fruit. People really turned to the Lord. In verse 20, um, Jesus gives them perspective to have joy about their salvation, not because of the authority they've been given over the unseen realm. There's more, more, there's more joy in having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then verse 21, he says, Jesus rejoices, you have hidden uh, before the Father, he says, you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. Jesus rejoiced in that these people, these 70 and other disciples understood the plan and purpose of God. There will be great joy in your life when you align yourself with God's plan and purpose for your life. It's just the way it is. You wonder why you're not happy? Because you're seeking happiness. Seek the Lord and be obedient to Him and you'll find joy, not just happiness. You'll find deep, rich fulfillment in serving the Lord. You'll find why you were created. I think it's amazing that God has joy. Jesus rejoice! This is one of the few passages where we see Jesus have a huge smile on his face. Way to go. Way to go. When you step up to the plate, you understand. It puts a big smile on the face of God. He's got it. She, she gets it. She understands it. I'm going to bless that person so they can get the job done. You'll experience a deeper walk with God. You'll receive the gifts and the anointing and the empowering of the Holy Spirit that you need for your ministry. You'll not lack anything. What a, what a promise we have. <clears throat> of course, you know, I had to skip over a number of things here some of you are probably thinking about verse 18 what's that all about Satan fall like lightning I'm not sure that that's explainable (laughs) but I do understand that nothing unclean nothing unholy can be in the presence of God so when Satan was filled with envy and jealousy of Yahweh instantaneously he was evacuated from the presence of God. Like lightning flashes, gone from the presence of God. And he entered into this lower domain, that's why he's infiltrated ours. He can't go into the presence of the Almighty. And there is by the way, no sacrifice, no atonement for, for the angel's Who fell. Why is that? Because they rebelled with full knowledge. You and I were deceived. We were born in sin. We were born blind, spiritually speaking. We have sinned in ignorance. But once a person receives the knowledge and truth of the gospel and rejects it, there remains no more opportunity. Do you understand the severity of the message we bring to the world? And God help us to do it with grace and love and compassion. Just think about how blind we, we were. I know how blind I was. May God give us the, the approach, the wisdom, the understanding of how to present the gospel in a loving, gracious way. And if it's rejected, to just move on. Don't give up. Oh, I could have said this. Oh, if I'd have done this. No, that's just a lie. Just keep moving. Keep moving, keep sharing, keep being obedient. And may God bless our efforts. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the encouragement you've given us to take this message to the world. God, help us. We confess we have neglected. We have become anything but evangelistically minded because of the busyness of what's going on in our world today, the distractions, the psychological garbage that's being put into the airwaves to distract us from our mission, but God help us. We want to confess our lack of service in this area, Lord. And We want to repent as a church and as a pastor that we might become more of what you intended us to be by reaching the lost, those that have been blinded, those in bondage to sin. Father, renew our minds, strengthen us in our commitment to get the gospel out. May the word of God spread rapidly, Lord, and be glorified in our midst. May we receive strength to stand against the ungodly and to those who would persecute us for doing our, our jobs, Lord. We pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, That you'd overflow us with your power and your love. And may great grace be upon our church as we obey you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.